Good morning, City Light. My name is Doug, and I get to follow our forever alive, risen Savior. Can't hold him down, can't shut him out, King Jesus, with all of you. And you might be wondering, what in the world does the death and resurrection of a man 2,000 years ago mean to you today? I mean, any Sunday is an awesome opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of King Jesus, but we love to take advantage of Easter Sunday where we remember that he may have died a bloody death, a lonely death, a publicly humiliating death. Over his cross was written a sign that read, King of the Jews. He was pushed to the margins of society, left alone and laughed at. He may have died, church, but he rose again. And his resurrection still means something to you today. You might be thinking, what's the big deal? Why are you yelling, preacher? Well, why can't we just let him be? File him away in the pages of history with all the other kings who came and went and lived and died. But here's the deal. We can't forget him. We can't leave him. We can't just leave him to the pages of history because Jesus stood up out of those pages. He stood up, rose up, showed up in our lives even today, even among us. Amen, church? He's alive. And so I got to tell you, I'll tell you about my friends, Adam and Shelby. Adam grew up going to church and trying to be a good kid, and he prayed a prayer when he was little, but then Jesus kind of faded out of the focus of his life. And Shelby, she grew up far from church and didn't really believe that there's a God. But then Adam and Shelby started hearing about Jesus, the love of Jesus, grace of Jesus, power of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it wasn't long before Adam and Shelby met King Jesus. He stood up out of the pages of history and showed up in their lives. You see, the sign above his cross read, King of the Jews. But when he rose from the dead, Jesus claimed the right to be king of Adam and Shelby. And I'll tell you about my friend Ishmael. Ishmael grew up in some tragic circumstances in Rwanda, wandering the streets as a homeless orphan. He would beg for food. He was abused by authority figures, forgotten by his family. But then Ishmael began to hear about Jesus, this Jesus who loved him and cared about him, this Jesus who even hurt with him. And it wasn't long before Ishmael met King Jesus. Jesus stood up out of the pages of history and showed up in his life. You see the sign above his cross read, King of the Jews. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he claimed the right to be king of the whole world. And Jesus showed up in my life too. (laughs) I grew up a shy, quiet kid who I know, I know, that was Easter a long time ago. (laughs) I was shy, I was quiet. The last thing I wanted to do was stand up in front of people. I would obey the rules, go to church, do whatever it took just to blend in and not be noticed. I memorized Bible verses. I wore pleated khakis with a brown braided belt because that's what church kids did in the 1980s, right? 
But hallelujah, I met Jesus. And those Bible verses weren't just for memory. They were for power in my life. I traded in my church clothes for a new heart of love for Jesus Christ. He stood up out of the pages of history and showed up in my life. You see, the sign over his cross read, King of the Jews. But when he rose from the dead, Jesus claimed the right to be king of my heart. And this morning, in the short time that we have together, I am praying, I am hoping that this resurrection of Jesus won't just be a story for the pages of history, but it will be the reality of your life, the all-defining, life-changing, heart-renewing, soul-satisfying reality of your life, because the sign above his cross read, King of the Jews... But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he claimed the right to be king of you. And so this morning, if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 28, that passage that Eric just read. And I want to highlight three responses to the resurrection of Jesus. Three ways that this resurrection of Jesus doesn't just stay stuck in these pages, but it comes alive in your heart and my life. Matthew chapter 28, by this point in time in the story, Jesus has lived an absolutely perfect life. Not an ounce of sin in him, not a step of sin through him. And yet, Jesus was murdered by some religious losers and some cowardly rulers. Jesus was dead. And he was put into a large walk-in tomb and a huge stone was rolled in front of it. And some soldiers were told, to stand guard and watch. Then we get Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So these Marys, they were friends of Jesus. Jesus didn't have any girlfriends. He was never married. Um, but among his faithful followers were both men and women. So these women were going to check out his tomb to grieve the loss of their friend, to pay their respects. The story continues in verse 2. It says, And behold, there is a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled, the stone, and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, can we just acknowledge that's freaky, okay? Like, there's a natural disaster, a great earthquake, some gargantuan angel shows up from out of nowhere, rolls the stone away, sits on it like a boss, and the soldiers around him trying to guard the tomb pretty much fell over like dead men. It was like they passed out. That's scary, okay? That's kind of freaky. Sometimes we imagine angels as these cute, fat little babies with like chubby cheeks and curly locks of hair and cotton ball wings that couldn't even hold up a butterfly. But not this angel, right? Like this angel shows up and there's a great earthquake and he can roll a huge stone away and the toughest men of that time pass out at the sight of him. It's scary, y'all. It's kind of freaky. I think sometimes we hear the story of the resurrection of Jesus so much that it almost becomes safe to us. It's like a fairy tale or a fable, and it loses its punch. It's, oh my goodness, I'm going to freak out-ness. We get used to the story of the resurrection of Jesus, but hear this. 
if you would have been there, if I would have been there, we would have been freaking out. There was a huge earthquake, natural disaster. There was an angel that looked like lightning and clothing as white as the snow. I know I for sure, I would have been diving behind the nearest tombstone, crying and praying that he didn't shoot me with one of his lightning bolts and I could just stay alive, right? It was scary. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know if you were going to get out alive? Like, have you ever had your life flash before your eyes? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with fear that you didn't know you'd be able to keep standing? That's what's happening here. That's the reality of the situation. And yet, Mary and Mary stay on their feet. They stay standing. And so the angel says to them in verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And here is our first response to the resurrection of Jesus. Fear not. Don't be afraid, the angel says, though there's plenty to be afraid of. Fear not. Though there was just a huge earthquake and some soldiers passed out, fear not. This changes everything, and it rewrites the story of your life, but fear not. And some of us this morning, we can identify with these ladies, right? Like, you've heard enough about Jesus to know that he's a good man. You've read enough about Jesus to know that he did some miracles. You've learned enough about Jesus to know that he is real and that he matters. And you're showing up this Sunday morning to pay your respects to Jesus, to give honor to Jesus. But you also know enough to understand that if the resurrection is real, then it changes everything. Like, if the resurrection is real, then there's a power greater than you, a power that can cause earthquakes and make stones roll away. And it's scary because if Jesus is more than a good man, if he's more than just a good teacher, if Jesus really is alive and resurrected, then trusting Jesus, following Jesus, means that his power is greater than yours. Trusting Jesus means that he takes over, he takes charge, he leads your life. And as nice as pastors try to make that sound, sometimes it's scary. Because what, what if trusting Jesus to run your life ends up with Jesus running your life? What if Jesus calls some shots that you don't like? What if the earthquake is too great for you to handle? What if you're the one on the ground instead of standing? What if Jesus rewrites your story in a way that you don't want? A resurrected king is kind of scary. But read with me again verse 5 and see, catch what the angel says here. He said to the women, do not be afraid. Fear not. Why? For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. And if this angel knew the heart of these ladies, 
then God knows your heart and will meet you where you are this morning. You're seeking Jesus. You want to discover, is he really worth following? Is he truly trustworthy? And God will meet you, though your earth be shaking, though your heart be quaking, God will meet you where you are and speak to you. Even now, he's speaking to some of you. Fear not, for you are seeking Jesus God will speak that to your heart. And in fact, that's what he did for Mary and Mary. You see, after Mary and Mary saw the empty tomb and they ran away, they they ran into Jesus. He met them, they met him. And in verse 10, what does Jesus say to them? Do not be afraid. Fear not. When your world seems to be falling apart, and your heart seems barely hung together, and you're not for sure who to trust, where to turn, Jesus will step into your life, meet you, you meet him, and he will say to you, fear not. You might be afraid that following Jesus means you would lose what is most precious to you, but fear not. Jesus is better. You might be afraid that your pain will never go away, but fear not. Jesus is your healer. You might be afraid that once again you'd be passed over, forgotten, and misunderstood, but fear not, Jesus sees you. You might be afraid that your face is too marred or your heart is too ugly, but fear not, Jesus accepts you where you are. You might be afraid that your hopes and dreams will be deferred, but fear not, Jesus hears you. Following a resurrected king can be pretty scary. But when you meet Jesus, what he says to you is, fear not. That's the first response to the resurrection of King Jesus. The story continues, and after the earthquaking and guards collapsing and the angel flexing, these ladies, they actually go into the tomb and they find it empty, right? Just as the angel had said, Jesus was gone. He wasn't there. Jesus was alive. So how do these ladies respond? Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Literally, it reads, they departed quickly with fear and mega joy. Big joy, gigantic joy. While they were feeling legit fear, they were also feeling much joy. And this is our second response to the resurrection of Jesus. It's not going to quite make sense, but this is the best words I got for you. How do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Joy much. Joy much, right? In fact, when Jesus meets these ladies in verse 9, after they're running from the tomb, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Now, in the original language, that word greetings doesn't just mean, hey, how are you? Hope your day is going good. But that word, it means rejoice, be glad, joy much, right? So Jesus himself is joying much, and he tells these ladies to joy much. So our response to the resurrection is also joy much. And I know that's not like grammatically correct, okay? There's English teachers out there right now calling me out, okay? I get that, but it's also okay, because have you ever been in a moment, ever experienced something where you were just so excited, so overcome with joy, that you couldn't quite explain it. You couldn't quite talk about it, right? Like words are just spewing out of your mouth and you're tripping over syllables just because you're so excited. That's how I felt whenever our firstborn son was born. 
Like whenever my first son was born, I didn't like pray a spiritual prayer for him or speak an eloquent blessing over him. Instead, he's born, I see him, and the first words that came to my mind were, that thing is huge. I was excited, right? I was joying much. And the best word I could come up with for him was thing. And the best adjective I could come up with to describe that thing was huge. That's what joy does. It explodes. It runs. And it forgets the rules of grammar. And that's what these ladies did when they saw the empty tomb. And then they saw King Jesus alive. They joyed much. Why? Well, because their king was alive, which is kind of obvious in this story, but think about this. If King Jesus is alive, then everything he said is true. If King Jesus is alive, then all the promises he made are possible. If King Jesus is alive, then all of his teachings are trustworthy. You see, around the time of Jesus, there were hundreds of wannabe saviors and try-to-be kings, and they all lived and died, and they stayed in the grave. I mean, they did good deeds, and they said good words, but dead is dead, you know? But a resurrected king, he can keep his promises. A resurrected king, he can teach with Wonder. A resurrected king can keep doing miracles. And a resurrected king can forgive sin. You see, when Jesus was walking the earth and doing ministry, he would heal people and then sometimes he would say to them, Your sins are forgiven. Or someone would be caught in sin by these religious leaders and brought to Jesus. What are you going to do now, Jesus? And Jesus would talk with them and he would say to them, Your sins are are forgiven, which is a nice sentiment, but it doesn't mean much if Jesus doesn't have the power to execute on that promise. It doesn't mean much if Jesus can't actually forgive sin, but these ladies, Mary and Mary, they had heard all these promises, heard all these words. They had heard all this extension of forgiveness, promise of forgiveness, and when they realized Jesus had defeated death, it also dawned on them Jesus had defeated sin. He can now forgive their sin, and Jesus can forgive your sin too. For some of us, Easter is a struggle. Like, it's a real wrestle, because everybody's excited about Jesus and throwing a pep rally for him, and things seem great. But you know that if Jesus really knew you, he couldn't forgive your sin. Yeah, yeah, he can forgive those people who like slip up a little bit here and there, but not you. Your sin runs too deep. Your addiction hangs on too tightly. Your stain has soaked in too long. So you play nice with the family. You go to church. But you know that if Jesus really knew you, he wouldn't play nice with you. And so you keep your distance from him. If that's you, oh, if that's you, can you just listen in for a moment? When Jesus rose from the dead, he claimed the absolute right, power, privilege, and authority to forgive all of your sins. He took that claim, he took that right, and he says now, 
I can forgive your sin. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, I love you. And when he rose from the dead, he said, I can forgive you. Every last depth of darkness, every last drop of sin, every return to your addiction, every betrayal, denial, rebellion, Jesus can forgive your sin. Like, I don't know how to spell it out more clearly. You bring your stain, Jesus washes it away. You bring your addiction, Jesus breaks the chains. You bring your sin, Jesus forgives you completely. Oh, my friend, would you come to this resurrected king this morning? Would you come to Jesus? He lived and he died and he rose again so that he might have the power to forgive your sin, to make you whole and wash you clean, white as snow. Amen, church? Amen. So the first two responses to the resurrection of Jesus are fear not and joy much. Then there's a third response that we see in the passage Look at verse 7. After the angel brings Mary and Mary in and they see the empty tomb, the angel says this to them, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And then later when these women run into Jesus and they meet him in verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and Tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the third response to the resurrection of Jesus is simply, go tell. Go tell. Fear not. Joy much. Go tell. And we might be tempted to think, well, that's just like the angel and Jesus sending these ladies on an errand, right? Like Whitney sends me on an errand to go get eggs at the grocery store. But let's not make a bigger deal of it than it is. But if you keep going down in Matthew 28 after these ladies go tell the dudes and they all get together and they're all listening to Jesus, Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So from the moment the angel talks to the ladies, to the moment that Jesus talks to the ladies, to the moment that Jesus talks to his followers, what's the theme? Go tell. Go tell the world that the king is alive. Go tell your friends that Jesus has changed your life. Go tell your family that Jesus has the power to forgive their sins. Go tell the orphans in Rwanda that Jesus can make them whole and healthy. Go tell war-torn Middle East that there's a king who loves them, a king who is alive, and his name is Jesus. Go tell the city of Council Bluffs there's more to life than clocking in, clocking out and paying your bills because Jesus is alive. Go tell. Go tell. And I, oh, I love this response to the resurrection of Jesus because for so many of us, the last thing we want to sign up for is wearing pleated khaki pants with braided brown belts and being nice church people, right? Trying to keep our nose out of trouble. But that's the idea that we get sometimes, right? Following Jesus means you better be a nice church guy. For whatever, it's like, it's like you, you um, joining, like you got to join the country club, okay? And if you're in the country club, I, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I, I just don't, I don't get this, right? Why would someone give money to go to a kind of old, kind of fancy building where your kids have to be as still as statues and the adults just kind of smile and shake hands and pretend like everything is fine in life and just go about their days without ever really connecting. Like, I, I just 
don't really get that. And that's never going to be city life because that's not what Jesus invited us into. Jesus didn't raise from the dead so that we can be nice church people. Jesus didn't raise from the dead so you'd get your life straight and stop having fun. Jesus didn't raise from the dead so that you could pay a pastor to do all the work because your work doesn't really matter. No, Jesus rose from the dead so that he could call you and he could call me into a life of mission and service and sacrifice. That's the kind of king I want to follow. A king who says, come, follow me, get past yourself, pour out your life as a sacrifice for others, love others, give yourself away and actually make a difference on this planet and for all of eternity. That's why Jesus lived and died and rose again and I will take that over country club Christianity any day of the week. Amen, church? Jesus Christ, the resurrected King, calls you, calls you into a difference-making mission, one where you matter. Your work matters. Your friends matter. This world matters. You remember Adam and Shelby. They met King Jesus, but the way they met King Jesus was through Larry and Donna. You see, Larry and Donna lived next door, and they invited Adam and Shelby over for dinner, and they would just sit and talk for hours and answer questions about Jesus. Adam and Shelby met King Jesus because Larry and Donna chose to go tell next door. And you remember Ishmael from Rwanda. He met King Jesus. But the reason he met King Jesus was through Ryan and Kara. Ryan and Kara took a trip to Rwanda, and what they saw there changed their lives. And so they knew they had to go back and do something about it. And this time they took friends, and then they took more friends, and eventually they started an organization called Amana Kids to share the love of God with orphans in Rwanda. Ishmael met King Jesus because Ryan and Kara chose to go tell around the world. And then there's me. I met King Jesus because mom and dad told me about him. They didn't relegate Jesus to an event on Sundays every so often. They didn't stick Jesus in the religion box and just pull him out every so often. Mom and dad just talked about Jesus in normal life, in the car, after soccer practice, when things were happy, when things were sad. I met King Jesus because mom and dad chose to go tell, even at home. And there's many of you in the room this morning, you're here because a friend of yours or a family member chose to go tell. They sent you a text or a Facebook message. They handed you an invitation card. They kept bugging you and bothering you until you said, okay, I'll go. And and the reason they wanted to invite you, the reason they came to you and they told you about this morning is because they love you. They enjoy hanging out with you and they wanted to spend time with you this morning but it's also because they want you to meet King Jesus. This resurrected King who will say to you, fear not, joy much, and go tell. So the invitation to you this morning is would you Come to this resurrected king. He will take away your fears. He will fill you with the greatest joy you have ever known. And he will give you a purpose and a mission to live greater than your own.
So can we do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And would you pray with me for the next few moments? There's no need to rush or hurry. We've crafted this morning so that in this time, you can hear from Jesus and not just hear from me. And if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, you've been following Jesus for a while, can you even right now begin to pray for those in the room who haven't yet met King Jesus? They don't know the forgiveness of sin that he offers. And so right now, could you pray for them, pray for your friends, your family, pray that the love of Jesus would be so real, so strong right now for them. And if you're here this morning, you'd say, man, I, I have never met King Jesus. I've heard about him. I've even gone to church on Easter's, but I've kept my distance from him. He doesn't feel safe to me. He doesn't feel good to me. Maybe you just say, man, my sin is too strong. My sin is too deep. I don't know if he can forgive me. Or maybe you're just struggling with purpose in your life. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And you've never come to Jesus to trust him and ask him to change you. If that's you, here's, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold, very real this morning in this space and in this time, while everybody's praying, can you repeat after me a simple prayer and ask Jesus to show up, to step out of the pages of history and show up in your life? Just repeat after me this prayer in your own heart. King Jesus, I know that you are real. I also know that my sin is real. And I'm separated from you, away from you. But I know that you lived, you died and rose again to have the power to love me and to forgive my sin. Even now, I receive your forgiveness and I commit my life to you. This is scary, Jesus, but I trust you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.